0: From Chosky Endurance
1: Collective, you're, you're listening to Chosky Pod.
0: Today, we've got an amazing interview with the legendary Carl Speedgoat Meltzer. It's a fun one, so I'll turn it over right away to our host. My name is Greg Lehman. I'm a collaborator at Chosky Endurance Collective and a field experience representative with Hoka One One. I first met Carl Meltzer at my first ultra marathon. Speedgoat 50K, in Snowbird, Utah in 2019. When I told him this was my first ultra, he immediately said, then the rest will be easy. That hasn't been completely true, but the comment speaks well to Carl's sense of humor and what he brings to the table with everything he does. And his race was definitely one of the hardest and best days of my life so far. Carl, his wife, Cheryl, his father, Carl Sr., and his whole crew were incredibly warm and generous to me and we stayed in touch. And then 2020 happened. Life has changed in large and small ways for everyone this year. And it was amazing to hear that after Carl dropped out of Coldwater Rumble 100 at the beginning of the year, he went ahead and won No Business 100 in Jamestown, Tennessee on October 16th. This was his 43rd win at the distance and still the most anyone has pulled off so far. We talked about recording an interview about the race, the year as a whole, and anything else we felt like talking about Frachowski, and the conversation was a joy. Our chat went everywhere, from Carl's experience at no business, to how he meets the deepest, darkest moments of fatigue during a race, as well as the fun and beauty he finds in all kinds of running. He also shared about what he would do differently in his career if he could have one do-over his taste in beer and music, and how important it is for him to reject the aid station chair at all costs. He also gave me advice on my own upcoming attempt to take on the 100-mile distance for the first time at Coldwater Rumble on January 16th, 2021. In one interview, I saw that you referred to um, that you had started going to school when you were younger, um, starting to pursue college. I was wondering, um, what, what were you planning on studying, if, if anything?
2: Who knows? <laughs> you don't know? <laughs> okay. I, I think, I don't know seriously. Um, didn't really have a plan on what, what I was doing, but I kind of felt like I had to go to school because I had been out of high school a year and just kind of working in a restaurant. You know, like, it's kind of a dead-end job, you know? Um, it's great for steve on my life for a while, but at the same time it's really not gonna take you too far. So I figured I had to go back to school. So your first year in college when you don't really know what you're doing, you're taking the basics anyway. So I went there and I just didn't um, didn't like it. You know, I thought I'd love it. I loved the whole party scene and the fun part of it. <laughs> but um, and I did way too much of that. So, you know, that sort of discouraged studying a lot and stuff. So I was just sure. like, you know what? When a buddy of mine mentioned to go out west to go skiing for a, a, year, a season, a friend of mine who I would ski with every weekend when I was at Plymouth State College, we always drove over to Killington, Vermont, to ski, which is like an hour away. So we just were skier buddies. And uh, he mentioned going to Big Sky, Montana the, the next season. And I was like, I'm oh, in. I just didn't want to be in school, you know, and I just like, screw it. Yeah. So I went out and started off, and it was the best thing I ever did. So, Beautiful. You know sometimes you got to make decisions like that and you know that at the time it may not be what other people believe is the right decision but um i mean look at it now right i i i mean things have changed (laughs) um having gone to school there for four years i really don't know i may still live out west here somewhere but i really don't know where i'd be i certainly would hope um i would have moved on and done a lot more fun things like i have because I mean, I was a ski bum for 17 years. I skied a shitload of days, a lot of powder days. Yeah. Um, and I ran a lot of races. I, I focused my summers on just running um, and and not working, basically working as little as possible to survive. And then only lasts so long to realize that, well, maybe I need to do something to make some money. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it was the best decision I ever made. You know, a lot of things fell into my lap. Um, just ultra running career, kind of didn't really ever expect that, you know. Um, my wife fell into my lap. My job at Snowbird, when I moved out there, kind of fell into my lap. Um, a lot of stuff just kind of came to me. And That's sort of how I've been with most of my life, is that, you know, if I see something's coming to me and I can actually move on it, then I will. Yeah. But I don't really uh, drive to, to do something that takes too much time, because I, I, I just feel like we only have a short amount of time of on, on Earth, you know? Yes. So like I just don't want to spend time trying to make money. Um, you know I'm not greedy like that. I just uh, I, try, I I want to have time to do some fun things. So that's just kind of how my life path has been, and and I've been very 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 fortunate to live the way I do now. I mean I just, it's you know I never would have guessed this twenty years ago. But like when I moved out west, it's like yeah one year, then I'm going to come back to New Hampshire, and then you know what would I have done if I went back to New Hampshire? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, after being out here meeting some really cool friends and everyone's athletic and they're either mountain biking or running or skiing or whatever, um, you know, you meet friends like that. And they're like, you're not going to move back to New Hampshire. I'm like, you're right. Why would I do that? And in this place, Salt Lake is kind of like, it's very different now than it was 30 years ago because a lot more people live here. But the mountains are right at my doorstep. You know, I own a house two miles from the mouth of Little Cottonwood. Mm. I mean, that's very close. Um so the access to everything, especially in the '90s, was so great that to me it was just like, why would I want to move from here? You know? yeah. I mean, now I'm sort of, 30 years later, I'm looking to move away from here, but not because I don't still love the place, just because it's been it's just way more popular than it used to be. So it's it's still just as good as it always was. It's just just the more population. So the older you get, the more you want to get away from people. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, it's funny that my friends and I talk about that. Yeah, I just want to get away. Uh. But um, but it's all good. You know, it's all you know, it's all in good fun. But uh, at the same time, it's sort of like that um, as I've gotten older. Um, but it's you know I've had a great ride. So I you know like I said, I can't complain about anything. There's no way I can complain. Beautiful. That would be wrong. That would be that would be selfish. <laughs>
0: Um, of course, we we see the abyss uh, when when the chips are low and you know we're, we're tired and everything like that. Um, I was fortunate enough to ask uh, Joe Gray this question: um, like when yeah. you are when you are emptied, when there's nothing left, and then the abyss is staring at you. Um, what, what what do you call on? Where where do you go there?
2: I laugh at myself. You laugh. I think I think that's the strongest asset I might have is that you know you're gonna have bad patches out there. You know, I've, I, all the hundreds I run, just five or seven of them were, were like, you know, I nailed it. They were great all the way to the end. You know, um, but there's always bad patches out there. But now, later in my career, when I have a bad patch, um, I just kind of laugh it off, like, ah, oh, here we go again. Uh, you know, you kind of lose your energy, and, and you don't. I don't tend to worry about things anymore. It happened at Lake Sonoma where I had my calf was cramping, which is on the edge of cramping up pretty bad. So I sort of managed it, but the only way to manage it was to buck a lot of it. I couldn't really get running again because my calf was ready to just like seize up and if anyone's ever felt that feeling it's like you don't want to feel that cramping calf right it hurts <laughs> yes um so i had to walk it in i was like but i and i did i, I it's horrible to say but i walked it in i finished the race at, like 9 30. i had run the race in seven hours a number of times but but i was really proud of myself for finishing because uh, you know what i passed i caught up with hal Carter at mile 38 and he was sitting down because he was having an issue with something and and he was going to drop because he couldn't get past the issue. But I was like, oh, I'll finish it off. I kind of laughed at myself. I'm like, I'll walk this stupid thing in and jokingly say stupid thing. But, you know, I feel a lot better that I did that when I finished because it's just like, I still sucked it up, you know? Yeah. Um, and stayed positive when it, when it was down. It was like, you know, people asked me, Do I just pointed I'm like, "Well, um, yeah, I could have run faster. No doubt about it. But it just didn't click for me today. You know, it doesn't click for everybody every day. If it did, it would be world records, put, you know, put down all the time. So, you know, you just have to stay positive when things aren't really going your way and not worry about it so much if you don't have your best day. Um, because the best days are, just being out there to be able to do it are pretty much your best days. Yes. It's gonna, eventually it's going to end. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you won't be able to do it. And, you know, that's going to be the worst day of all. <laughs> the Recovery process was great simply because um, you know, I drove to the race in Tennessee, which was a bit of a fair drive. Yeah. But I had my car, so I was so I went to the Smoky Mountains, stayed at a friend's house, um, a cottage basically in Smokies, and then hung out there for a week, which, which was really great for recovery because I just I really had no nothing to do, you know. So basically, I would go for a walk every morning, go for a walk in the afternoon until I was ready to run, and that took me about five or six days before I was ready to run again. And it just slowly moved into it. Um, I backpacked three days on the up near the Appalachian Trail in the Smokies, also right after that first week of recovery. So that you know that also aided in recovery because I didn't. I, one thing I see people do too much is they try to come back too fast, especially if they have a really good race, which right. I did have a good race. Mm-hmm. So it's important to really listen to your body and not. Kind of get too excited about how great the next one can be. Yeah. Because then sometimes you have a, you get this, this low in performance at like two or three weeks afterwards. So, my, my being on the East Coast, being able to hang out at that cottage, I played a couple rounds of, of golf when I was there in a the cart. So, we were walking the time. Um, I just did the right thing in terms of not overdoing it right away. And then once, uh, I was done the backpacking trip with my wife, which was about a week and a half after the race, um, you know, I was, what, 10 days after it. Then I was kinda of ready to start running again and my wife flew back home and I stayed on the East Coast and just kinda of went and hung on the Appalachian Trail for a few days. Yeah. And and by doing that, again, I'm I'm going for maybe about a two hour run. I wasn't doing anything more than that. But when I wasn't running, I was resting, you know. Yeah. So instead of like the hype of a normal day and doing this, that and the other running around or whatever, I was didn't really have anything else to do. So I, again, I rested in between my running coming back. So I mean, now I'm five weeks out. Now I'm, I mean, I could race again if I wanted to right now. I think I'd be fine. Uh, I don't have a race on the docket right now, but at the same time, uh, I've recovered really well. I have no injuries. Um, I'm back to running my normal, at least 50 to 60 miles a week now, I think. So, you know, where, where it goes from there, I don't know, but I'll try to line up something. probably in January or February and go for another 100-miler.
0: Mentioned um, Coldwater Rumble, um, and I know that mm-hmm. you had came into it uh, this past January. had to drop out, um, and then you said you were maybe considering coming back to it in January. Is that in the realm of possibility? You think? Uh,
2: it's I think it's a possibility to go back to Coldwater. I definitely having dropped
1: out there last year. You know, I'm not really done with that one yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, I,
2: dro- I, you know, I dropped last year. It's my IT band is just so jacked. she started hurting pretty. At about mile 28, and I made it all the way to 62, but it just wasn't worth. I do. I don't. I don't like long-lasting lasting issues or injuries, so I just bailed out. Um, I never feel good about it, but it was the right. It was the right decision, I think. But yeah, i mean I might go back. I know the course. I know the gig. Um, I know that it's logistically it's pretty easy for me because I can just it's a shoot a shot drive south. It's 10 hours, but to me, a 10-hour drive is like blinking. So, um, so we'll see. I mean, it's a good course. You know, um, January, there aren't really a ton of races out there with really good courses. So um, that's kind of my goal now is to, you know, explore some of the other races that I've never run before and and to finish them fully, of course, and water would certainly be one of them. But I'm still deciding. I mean, I don't really know yet. So uh, it's on the radar for sure.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, you would describe it as deceptively runnable. And that can be, you know, definitely a trap for people when they, you know, come out too squirrely, take off too fast, and uh, uh-huh. I was wondering if you could kind of break that down a little bit.
2: Well, when when I, when I say runnable, <laughs> that pretty much means um, the terrain is not that difficult. It doesn't sure. mean it's not technical. Yeah. doesn't mean it doesn't have lots of dips and do's. Like a desert race usually will have a lot of washers you go in and out of. So, that being the case, that typically means it's kind of rocking those washy areas. It's not very rhythmic. In other words, it's not like you're running this flat towpath you know you're running up and down and all around but there's no major hills so that's kind of what i'd call runnable but like you said it, it can catch up to people as because this race is five laps yeah. um, washing machine style which is which is pretty fun actually because you get to see a competition each time you go around which is kind of a cool feature of that but i mean five laps is not how to kind of break it down um you know the fourth lap is always the hardest <laughs> um the fifth lap is easier but uh i don't know it's it's a good course i I think runnable wise it's it it catches up to you again like because it is so runnable you feel like well this is flat i have to run like i think for most people it's okay to take a little bit of a walk break sometime yeah i mean and if i have to do that i do it strategically at, at certain points of the course where it might be a gradual uphill where you wouldn't lose as much time by walking fast as you would um going downhill or flat so strategically you can play that game a little bit but uh I like 100s. You do have to walk some because I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't the best roadier your track guy, and it hurts to run every freaking step of 100 miles. <laughs> I need that. I need that breakdown time of uh, you know. I get to hike a little bit. So, and cold water fits that bill. It's uh. It's it's a good one. You know. It's the weather's great too. It's another good feature of the race.
0: I'm actually really excited to tell you. Um, I signed up for it this morning. Um, I hope oh I, boy! Yeah, yeah. So um, got the go ahead from uh, from our mutual employer, uh, schedule wise and everything. And uh,
1: yeah.
0: um, it's it's great to get these notes from you. And then um, I'm friends with uh, Jake uh, Jake Jackson, who won it in 2018. Mm-hmm. So it, I got I got some experience to, to kind of lean back on. And then uh, of course uh, Chris Brown at uh, Chosky um, is coaching me. So so All we'll nice. see. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, any any notes you would offer somebody like me who's going to step up to this for uh, their first hundred?
2: Well, uh, being a first one, you know, your, your number one goal is to finish. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, regardless of how fast you are, if, if you were, in, in, you know, a top level elite runner, my, I would still tell you the same thing: is make your goal to finish. Yeah. Because if you don't finish, you bail out because of you know, you, you get it gets in your head and you just don't feel like running anymore, and you bail out. You're not going to feel very good about that. So make sure that's your number one goal. And don't really be too concerned about whatever your time is. Um, obviously, you have to make the cutoffs, which I'm sure you'll make the cutoffs. Um, but it gets tougher, you know, after three or four laps. Yeah. Um, just have to be patient out there and remember that it's a, you know, a 24 to 30-hour event. Yeah. Um, it's the first 10 hours or 12 hours of it. You sort of have to look at it as like, okay, this is my warm-up period. You know, you have to put it into perspective of, you um, how long it's going you're going to be out there, and how much it's actually going to hurt. Yeah, because you know it's going to hurt. Oh uh, yeah, don't kid yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I've never run a hundred; I wasn't really sore afterwards. So, um, just kind of have to manage your pain, manage your effort, and keep your effort conversational. Um, if that makes any sense in terms of like how hard your your pace is, and don't really look at your watch on your pace. The trail will dictate your pace, Cause especially that course. Like in perspective, it's you know it's not that hilly, but there's junk, like I said, there's junky rocks, there's in and out of washes, there's dips and do's and things, and, and those things all slow you down. So you can't always rely on what your watch is telling you, you know, you just have to rely on personal effort and, and just keep, keep eating your nutrition like an IV drip. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and sip. I mean, that's the simplest way to say it, but, uh, it's important not to, I think, to never really gorge on a lot of food, say at an aid station, sit there for a while and eat something too much and then to expect to go out and just roll roll again. You're better off just grabbing a small bit of food or gels or whatever you're eating and uh, keep walking forward. You know, never sit down. Chair is evil. We all say that. Um, you don't want to sit down if you can avoid it. And uh, just be prepared for, you know, it can be cold at night too, even down in the desert. there. So You're just gonna have to watch the weather and see how that pans out. But that's kind of the easy part down there because it's, it wouldn't be too extreme. I wouldn't think anyway too extreme at any time there because of I mean Phoenix wintertime is pretty nice. Gotcha. So uh, you know it's just just stick to the basics. Don't go out too fast. Yeah. And uh, expect it to hurt.
0: About no business because you were talking about the the chair being evil and the aid station oh. game and everything. And oh. in on um on Talk Ultra you had mentioned uh you know I was just I was just schooling Grant on uh on the aid station and then you're like well I wasn't schooling him I'm just faster and I, I think those are the same things Carl <laughs> but um <laughs> well, well, you know no, no hard feelings there Grant of course it's of course
2: about, <laughs> but, but it was just the, the way the race panned out was I guess I guess my experience of always trying to be the fastest guy through aid stations better than anyone else gives me an advantage because it's basically taking time off the clock that others are kind of wasting you know um I I, did, I was 20 seconds at eight stations you know yeah yeah in one aid station to stopped maybe for two minutes I did change my shoes at one aid station but I, and that's when I actually did sit down but I had to sit down and change my shoes yeah <laughs> so the second those shoes were tired I was standing up again and I was moving so it's really important to maybe not so much in your very first ultra to be like lightning fast like that but um, but to have a plan to always do your inventory before you come to an aid station. And I primarily run on gel, so I'm a very simple uh, runner. I drink water, I eat gel, mm. and my wife had a few pineapple chunks for me. I think, and with the exception of that, I believe that's all that I ate for the race. So, obviously, that's very simple. Um, so I will double do my inventory of how many gels I have in my pockets or in my little pack, and you know I think I do the calculations in my head how many will I need, and when I get there, I have a plan instead of coming in there and a crew person. Or to just asking you questions. You sure, sort of want sure. to have your own agenda, you know. Um, at least that's how I treat it. And what happened in No Business is Grant was running faster than I was the entire time. You know, between eight stations, he would pull out ahead of me. Only by a minute or two for like a seven-mile stretch, so not a lot. But, you know, he'd get to the aid station and I'd say, hey, where's Grant? And I are like, oh, he's right here. And then I'd leave before him. And that happened through a number of eight stations, probably six or seven eight stations before I eventually, before that cycle sort of started to work in my favor, where it took him longer to catch me before the next aid station because I was out a little bit faster than he was. And then once we got to 82 miles, he, he actually caught me and passed me, but then I repassed him right before we got to the aid station. And then because I only was there for 20 seconds, um, he was there for, I'm gonna say three or four minutes, not a ton of time, but three, four minutes in the dark means the guy with the light is out of sight. Yeah. Right? So once you're out of sight and he doesn't know where he's at, you know what I mean? So from a strategic standpoint, that was the time for me to make sure that I don't lollygag in between the aid stations and sort of like, well, okay, I took the lead, but I'm still going to take it easy. I mean, we were at mile 82 at that point. So with 18 miles to go, um, you know, you're not running as hard as you can, but you're running the gradual uphills, you're running anything that's runnable and you're not uh, wasting mistakes of just fumbling around with your pack or getting something out of your pocket, sure, making sure. sure that you're moving forward as, as most efficiently as possible. And then by the time we got to 80 mile 89, this time I got there before him without being able to see his light behind me on the dirt road. So that mm. was telling me, you know, two minutes at least or something. Yeah. So I just did my inventory. I rallied 20 seconds in and out. And I like, my wife, my wife was there crewing too, so that made it. She's like. I'm out of here, that's it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like I knew I was ready. Um, and again, then when he came to there, he stayed there for multiple minutes. I think he left 14 minutes after I did. So that was the turning point of where my strategic move in between those stations was smart. And then once I was 8 mile 89, the race is 102 and a half, so it was about 13 more to go. I mean, whatever hammer was left, the hammer was down.
1: Yeah, yeah. You, wow.
2: um, you get slower later in the race, but at the same time, if you're still jogging well... Um, and then, then he gets, to, then Grant gets to the next station behind me, and he's, you know, he's told he's 35 minutes behind me. Then he, then, basically, at that point, when you fall into second place like that, and someone just takes off, the guy in the front is running scared. Yeah. And you're thinking you're running fast enough, but then you're still losing time. So that, from a mental standpoint, that's discouraging to Grant. It's like, well, Grant was kind of like, well, I guess it's over. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and eventually Luke, who came behind him, only finished 15 minutes behind him too, or something at the end. So he was actually. Closing. Luke was actually closing on Grant as well, um, so he, you know, he just didn't finish as strong as he could have. But I mean, his kid's got a big future. He's 24 years old, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no reason um, he's not going to do really well in the future. I just, I just think I only I beat him on downtime. You know, mm-hmm. that was the difference. 52 minutes was the difference to the end, and I'd be willing to bet the difference in downtime was an hour. So if you look at that perspective. You know, he he could improve a whole hour on his time just because of, just because of a little bit more efficiency. But I didn't do that the first time I raced either. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I learned. I kind of learned the hard way with a lot of stuff. And I just this race, I was really mentally focused. I knew this was the race that for me to get my 19 years in a row of winning 100. This was the one, and I'm really glad that Grant and Luke were both were kind of all about the same level. So, so it was a really good race. Um, you know, it's not as popular as Western States, but I'll tell you the course was great. Um, it was all, just about all single track, a little bit of dirt road, which is always nice sometimes. And, uh, you know, temps were great. I mean, it's a great course. It was marked. All that stuff was, was great. And uh, I'm glad I ran it. It's, it's, you know, I'll probably check that one off my bucket list and probably won't go back there again, but it's not because the race isn't good. It's just because I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to go do, a, do a few other things, you know, different projects or something.
0: I was wondering if you could back up a little bit to the nutrition. I'm wondering, um... Where caffeine plays in uh, with the gels you're using, uh, do you do you lean on caffeine much?
2: Yeah, people have asked that a lot. Um, do i I don't get specific when I buy my gels uh, or use the endurance gels. I I just I don't really look at caffeine. Hmm. I honestly don't think um, I don't really. I mean, a little caffeine in the morning with a cup of coffee or joe in the morning is sort of like you wake up, you know. And I can't ever go without that. But during a race, I honestly don't really feel like you get much of a buzz from caffeine. I think or much of a boost, I think your boost is coming from the proper intake of the right amount of sugar um, and carbs, you know, that way. I, honestly, that's just my opinion. Um, some might feel otherwise, but I've never taken like, you know, a double latte espresso caffeine to think I was going to get a boost and actually happen. So some people might say otherwise, <laughs> um, but you know, that's just how I just believe it's really the, the energy and the pop is really coming from the sugar.
0: Just to, to again, back up a little bit, like this was an interesting conclusion to your year and it's been an exceptional year for everybody, right? Like 2020 just, you know, you you could talk about it all day about how it's been different from anything else for everyone. And, um, I thought there was an interesting arc where, you know, kind of started for you with, with cold water rumble that not going the way you wanted, then still water 100 got canceled. I know you were planning on, you know, potentially racing there. And then it kind of ended with with this triumph, you know. So I was wondering, um, what? And usually you're you're racing quite a bit, and this year was just completely different um, in that sense too. I'm wondering, um, what that, what the experience of that arc has been like for you, um, from, you know, kind of starting like, you know, I'll say like at a low point, and then, you know, a disappointment, and then victory. What, what what's that been like for you?
2: Right. I mean, when. when... So when cold water happened, you know, it was only January, so I didn't. I had the whole year to kind of figure something else out. Sure, sure. But I had been registered for Canemarang 100, which was in June, another old classic, um, and then Superior 100, which is early September. So those were sort of the two that I had planned. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, I planned kind to of just train for it. what happened in March. I thought the glory was okay running-wise. I kind of wasn't really recovered from cold water. My knees kind of bothered me a little bit. And then March came along, I started running, started getting back to normal, and then I had an issue with my calf. I pulled my calf muscle just slightly, but it definitely held me back like six or seven weeks. of running like 25 miles a week just to kind of get outside. Sure. Hiking. So I really wasn't that fit in the spring. Um, so if I would have gone to Kettle Moraine, which is June, I wasn't really fit for that anyway. So the fact that I canceled, um, I was bummed that I would have gone, but um, that was certainly would have been a tough one for me to pull off. And do really well, and then my goal at that point, being early June, was to get fit enough so I can go mark the Speedgo 50k course. <laughs> right, right. Because that's a challenge um, in itself, and I kind of do that myself. So, uh, you know, you're walking doing that, but you're carrying gear, and it takes an all day, all day, multiple days in a row. So it's a challenge. But once the Speedgo 50k went off and everything went really well, uh, the race was real clean. Everything was pretty textbook. Um, I was able to put in. I heard the superior was cancelled on August 1st, so then okay, that is out. But I was like, well, let's look around and try to find something. I saw no business. Someone actually mentioned no business on social media somewhere, and I knew I'd known of the race before. I knew the race uh, was a pretty good course from reports from some of my clients that had run it. So, right, I was like, you know what? This maybe I can put my ass into shape in five or six weeks and see if I can run that one. So. So I that's how it went out, you know. And then I just I did to focus for five weeks. I didn't have injuries. I had no issues. Um, I didn't overdo my mileage, but I I was very steady, which I've always thought is one of the best best things to do, is just to be good steady with your mileage. And then just use experience when I go to the race and kind of hope that, you know, hope it pans out for me. And, and it did. And I start, and I just, what can I say? You know, I pulled off again. Um, I, I would have been bummed if I had not, Won that race, I would have been looking for something now to run probably, but I can kind of lay low and go through winter and just kind of set myself up for next year. But it's been an interesting year. It's been tough for not just for me with with races being canceled, but I you know I coach people too, and you know all summer long, someone would train for something and then it gets canceled. They train for something and gets canceled, and uh, it's been a tough year from uh, a coaching perspective too because keeping people motivated is, is tough when, when stuff keeps getting shut down and that's sort of how my summer was the same thing. When races got canceled, they definitely had like a, you know, your head goes down for a while and you're like, Oh, what do I do now? You know? Um, but you gotta stay positive and just keep training and then hope hopefully this stuff will pass eventually. I think it will. It's just going to be a matter, it's just a matter of time at this point, but, uh, we just have to do the right thing and play it safe, you know?
0: In terms of motivation, um, What I've seen a lot of is people really rallying around the the virtual uh, running community um, in terms of, you know, people, you know, seeing each other and trying to one up each other on Strava or virtual segments, um, also a lot of virtual activations. Um, I'm wondering if that's playing a part in, um, you know, in in what you're seeing in the community as as a coach, as well as as you personally, um, being able to watch people that you can't be with uh, physically, but from afar uh, uh, through social media.
2: Yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan of the virtual programs, <laughs> okay. um, but, but that's, you know, not, not, it didn't motivate you, you didn't go for it, you know, and I think that did keep, initially, especially right off the bat, um, it was a great idea to get people motivated, okay, we can still do this, we can still kind of compete against each other, that's what Strava's great for, you know, because you have all yeah. these routes and things like that, but, you know, I, I wasn't really, I thought it was kind of silly to run something that's really not on the same course with other people, <laughs> yeah. and, I mean, you know, I'm a competitive racer, so that's just my perspective but if you're just doing um if you have a hundred mile virtual run or something like that and you know go for it if it's if it's what you if it motivates you i think it's it's good for some people i think it's it was kind of weird to pay 60 bucks to run somewhere around your house sure, <laughs> you sure. know i thought that was kind of odd but uh yeah i wasn't a big the biggest fan of the virtual race stuff but, but hey you know like i said if it motivates you go for it can, at least it kept a few people moving you know and I think this whole this whole year of the gumboo, if you want to call it that, um, it's taken a lot more people out to the trails. Yeah. And we, we, when we've noticed it. I think every town has noticed it, but Salt Lake City um, things have essentially sort of gotten out of control. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a good it's a good thing for most people, but it's definitely changed um, this place a little bit. And I'm sure a lot of other places too. We all suddenly see 300 cars at a, at a trailhead instead of. Thirty, you know, um, it got out of control there. Like, you know, Snowbird, and then, and there's the trailhead just before they called White Pine. And on the weekends, all summer long, there's 300 cars there. They used to be 40. Yeah. So, I'm not, I'm not trying to be greedy here. I'm just saying, like, it has changed. It's changed for the better. I think people are getting outside more, and I think that's great. Um, I just hope that you know we can still be good stewards of the land too, because the more people that use things, um, more things get worked on you know what I mean
0: oh 100% Um, yeah people just have
2: to do the right thing
0: I was wondering if you have any uh pre-race rituals like uh that that you step into um before you get on the Uh, course
2: pre-race rituals well I don't know if I have any real pre-race rituals um my goal is when I'm tapering for a race uh I I rest a lot (laughs) yeah um and a lot of times the taper is everyone has everyone can kind of taper differently for certain things but my ritual is really to make sure that I sleep well for the week, the entire every, each night for the week before a race, because sleep the sleep factor is is huge. Um, yeah. And being well rested before hundred, you can do nothing for an entire week before you run a hundred miler. Like nothing, like lay on the couch and you know watch TV or whatever, and you'll probably still do just as well if you than if you ran some miles in between, because. Maybe a little, you know, a little clunky the first ten or fifteen miles because you haven't run in four or five days, but but that works out, and it works out, and that, that just kind of helps you warm up slowly into the race a little bit. So I kind of, I mean, I don't take four or five days off completely, but I don't run really that much the week leading into it. I, mean, I, I didn't run. I drove to no business. It Took me two days. So
1: yeah,
2: I didn't run for two days. I think it was Tuesday and Wednesday. The race was on Friday. So Tuesday and Wednesday, I did not run. And Thursday, I jogged like couple miles, you know, and that was it. And then before that, I didn't run that much the weekend before. So, but as far as a real ritual though, there's nothing, I just try to go in with a good attitude and, uh, and I know what to expect. You know, I've run them so many times that I never get nervous. I sleep well the night before. Um, I just kind of take it with a grain of salt, just kind of let the race come to me. And even though I'm, I'm still trying to win every time that I go run a hundred miler, um, I don't want to stress me out because it's, you know, I've been really fortunate in my whole career to be able to still be doing this. I mean, I've run like 7,500, and there aren't many people that can say that. Yeah. Um, and just to be able to still do it, I'm thankful for it. So, you know, I take it with a grain of salt. If it doesn't, if it doesn't pan out like cold water, I mean, I had no knee issues going down there, but for some reason they bother me. Um, it's just, it bothered me. It just is what it is. And then, you know, if you're not successful, you move on. If you're successful, then great. You know, chuck another one up for speed. Good. Sure. Um, sure. We'll see.
0: We'll see what happens next year. You know, hopefully my motivation stays strong. I think it will. Hey, I have a hunch it will, too. Um, but no, uh, sleeping well and not being nervous before going into a race, that already sets you apart from, I think, most people. Like, I think the, one of the one times I get nervous is before a race. And, and sleeping well, I'll get good sleep maybe two nights before, but the night before, I'm just, I'm just up. Yeah,
2: you're okay. tossing and turning, right? A <laughs> little bit, a so, little I mean, bit. That's, that's typical. I mean, it's very typical, right? I mean, my trick is to take a tie on all PM. Now, some people may not agree with that, but that, that will knock you out, put you down. And and by doing that, that gives you the sleep. It's not, like, it's not like you wake up in the fog because you've done that because you're fired up to run the race anyway. So if you can take that, I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's just a little aid to, to start your sleep process, then, you know, then you're good. I mean, you don't want to overthink it either. If you're, you know, the night before you, race, you're always sort of thinking, oh I drop bags right? Do I put a shirt here? What do I get my light? What am do I doing yeah. this? I wanna go too yeah. fast. Do I go too slow? Do I follow this guy? Do I you know, all these questions are in your head. But I just kinda of tone those things out and I only run my own race, you know. Yeah. Even when I raised Grant at no business, not once did I like shift to say, I need to stay with him, you know, I need to run behind him or, or stay ahead of him or anything like that. I just did what I normally do and if I have to stop and pull over and pee on the side of the trail and he gets ahead of me, no big deal. I don't have to rush to catch up back to, back up to him. I just kind of did my own thing, you know. And that's important to just realize that run your own race is the best method for, you know, 99% of the people. Unless, unless you're running something like, you know, Western UTMB, it's, it's so much more competitive that you sort of have to stay in the mix. If you think you're going to win the thing, you've got to stay in the mix a little bit, you know because there's so many good competitors there. Yes. But in a smaller race, you kind of just run your own race and hope that it pans out. And it's been working out for me for, I mean, that's been my method since day one, really, even since you know I was younger. But um, it's just, you got to do your own thing, you know, and not really worry about others. I'm wondering if you could have,
0: you know, one redo in your career, if there was something that you could take back and do differently, uh, what might that
1: be?
2: Uh, UTMB 2007. I think yeah. because this was the year so this was after my big year in 2006 and i had run a bunch of other races um in the summer of that year in utmb I, i'm pretty sure it was 2007. so i ran hard rock like five or six weeks before or something but i was very fit then and um this is the race that i met nico at um, yeah. so um it goes way back to that but i had that race I was running a really good race, really solid race, all the way through about 70 miles, 70, about 74 miles or so, when I actually caught Nico who was leading. And I went by Nico. I think actually Nico was in second. I went by Nico, and then I caught up to Marco Omo, who was leading. And the three of us came into Lake Sampex, about um, 75, all about the same time. I left first. Uh, Marco left just behind me, and Nico was just behind us. And so this is my this is Mile 75. This is where the race begins, right? Basically, yeah. From, the, from a leader standpoint, and I I ran into Lake Champey. I was doing I was doing great, you know. I was feeling pretty good after a long descent off Col de Feret, and everything was going great. But for some reason, Marco went by me just briefly after the aid station, and then I don't know what happened, but somebody put a couch on my back. <laughs> and all of a sudden sudden, everything (laughs) was a little bit tougher and climbing out of bovine um, I just really struggled and you know Marco at that point was doing well he you know, greatly pulled away I never saw him again Um, but that race I had that race you know I had I had a chance to win UTMB the only American to win UTMB male on the male side and I'm not going to say I blew it I gave it everything that I had but um, that one, if I had a re- if I had a redo, um, that would have been a good one to redo, I think, because I had, you know, like I said, I kind of, I ended up dropping it triangle, my quads were so destroyed, but I kind of had that one, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. And
2: uh, and it, and it didn't happen, but uh, but it is what it is, you know. I went back and tried again, and then it got canceled during the race, so um, and I haven't been back since, so that, that was a bummer that I didn't have my best day there.
0: In one interview, I saw that you referred to, um, that you had started going to school when you were younger, um, starting to pursue college. I was wondering, um, what, what were you planning on studying, if, if anything?
2: Who knows? (laughs) You don't know? know, Seriously. Um, didn't really have a plan on what, what I was doing, but I kind of felt like I had to go to school because I had been out of high school a year and just kind of working in a restaurant, you know, like. It's kind of a dead-end job, you know? Um, It's great for Steve on life for a while, but at the same time, it's really not gonna take you too far. So I figured I had to go back to school. So your first year in college, when you don't really know what you're doing, you're taking the basics anyway. So, I went there and I just didn't um, didn't like it. You know, I thought I'd love it. I loved the whole party scene and the fun part of it. (laughs) but um, And I did way too much of that. So, you know, that sort of discouraged studying a lot stuff, so I was just sure. like, you know what, when a buddy of mine mentioned to go out west to go skiing for a, a season, a friend of mine who I would ski with every weekend when I was at Plymouth State College, we always drove over to Killington, Vermont, to ski. which is like an hour away, so we just were skier buddies, and uh, he mentioned going to Big Sky, Montana the, the next season, and I was like, I'm oh, in, I just didn't want to be in school, you know, and I just like, screw it, Yeah. so I went out and started off, and it was the best thing I ever did.
1: Beautiful. So,
2: you know, sometimes you got to make decisions like that. And you know that at the time it may not be what other people believe is the right decision. But, um, I mean, look at it now, right? I, I, I mean, things have changed. <laughs> um, had I gone to school there for four years, I really don't know. I may still live out west here somewhere, but I really don't know where I'd be. I certainly would hope um, I would have moved on and done a lot more fun things like I have because... I mean, I was a ski bum for 17 years. I skied a shitload of days, a lot of powder days. Yeah. Um, and I ran a lot of races. I, I focused my summers so on just running, um, and and not working, basically working as little as possible to survive. And that only lasts so long to realize that well, I maybe I could do something to make some money. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it was the best decision I ever made. You know, a lot of things fell into my lap. Um, just ultra running career, kind of didn't really ever expect that. You know. Um, my wife fell into my lap, my job at Snowbird, when I moved out there, kind of fell into my lap. Um, you know, a lot of stuff just kind of came to me. And That's sort of how I've been with most of my life, is that, you know, if I see something's coming to me and I can actually move on it, then I will. Yeah. But I don't really drive uh, to, to do something that takes too much time. Because I, I, I just feel like we only have a short amount of time of on, on Earth, you know? Yes. So like I just don't want to spend time trying to make money. Um, you know I'm not greedy like that. I just uh, trying, I, I want to have time to do some fun things. So that's just kind of how my life path has been, and and I've been very 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 fortunate to live the way I do now. I mean I just, it's you know I never would have guessed this twenty years ago. But like when I moved out west, it's like yeah one year, then I'm gonna come back to New Hampshire, and then yeah, you know, what would I have done if I went back to New Hampshire? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, after being out here and meeting some really cool friends and everyone's athletic and they're either mountain biking or running or skiing or whatever, um, you know, you meet friends like that. And they're like, you're not going to move back to New Hampshire. I'm like, you're right. Why would I do that? And in this place, Salt Lake is kind of like, it's very different now than it was 30 years ago because a lot more people live here. But the mountains are right at my doorstep. You know, I own a house two miles from the mouth of Little Cotwood. Mm. I mean, that's very close. Um So the access to everything, especially in the 90s, was so great that to me it was just like, why would I want to move from here? You know, I mean now I'm sort of 30 years later. I'm looking to move away from here, but not because I don't still love the place. Just because it's been it's just way more popular than it used to be. So it's it's still just as good as it always was. It's just just the more population. So the older you get, the more you want to get away from people. <laughs> so, uh, it's funny my friends and I talk about that. Yeah, I just want to get away. Uh. But um, but it's all good. You know, it's all you know, it's all in good fun. But uh, at the same time, it's sort of like that um, as I've gotten older. Um, but it's you know I've had a great ride. So I you know like I said, I can't complain about anything. There's no way I can complain. Beautiful. That would be wrong. That would be that would be selfish. <laughs>
0: Um, of course, we, we see the abyss uh, when when the chips are low and you know we're, we're tired and everything like that. Um, I was fortunate enough to ask uh, Joe Gray this question: um, like when yeah. you are when you are emptied, when there's nothing left, and then the abyss is staring at you. Um, what, what what do you call on? Where where do you go there?
2: I laugh at myself. You laugh. I think I think that's the strongest asset I might have is that you know you're gonna have bad patches out there. You know, I've, I, all the hundreds I run, five or seven of them were were like, you know, I nailed it. They were great all the way to the end. You know, um, but there's always bad patches out there. But now, later in my career, when I have a bad patch, um, I just kind of laugh it off, like, ah, oh, here we go again. Uh, you know, you kind of lose your energy, and, and you don't. I don't tend to worry about things anymore. It happened at Lake Sonoma where I had my calf was cramping, which is on the edge of cramping up pretty bad. So I sort of managed it, but the only way to manage it was to buck a lot of it. I couldn't really get running again because my calf was ready to just like seize up and if anyone's ever felt that feeling it's like you don't want to feel that cramping calf right it hurts <laughs> yes um so i had to walk it in i was like but i and i did i, I it's horrible to say but i walked it in i finished the race at like 9 30 i had run the race in seven hours a number of times but but i was really proud of myself for finishing because uh, you know what i passed i caught up with hal Carter at mile 38 and he was sitting down because he was having an issue with something and and he was going to drop because he couldn't get past the issue. But I was like, oh, I'll finish it off. I kind of laughed at myself. I'm like, I'll walk this stupid thing in and jokingly say stupid thing. But, you know, I feel a lot better that I did that when I finished because it's just like, I still sucked it up, you know? Yeah. Um, and stayed positive when it, when it was done. It was like, you know, people ask you, I just disappointed? I'm like, well, um, yeah, I could have run faster. No doubt about it, but it just didn't click for me today. You know, it doesn't click for everybody every day. If it did, it would be, world records would, you know, go down all the time. So, you know, you just have to stay positive when things aren't really going your way and not worry about it so much if you don't have your best day. Um, because the best days are, just being out there to be able to do it are pretty much your best days. Yes. It's gonna, eventually it's going to end. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you won't be able to do it. And, you know, that, that's going to be the worst day of all.
0: <laughs> I noticed that you listen to music on the trail. Um, Always. Yeah, so I, I stopped listening because I almost ran into a rattlesnake one time. Um, so I I, I want to hear what's going on around me. Um, but um, I'm wondering, uh, what what is your Are you concerned about like hearing noises or anything like that outside? And I'm also wondering what you listen to. Um, well,
2: I'm not really concerned about hearing noises. My my thought of like having done the Appalachian Truck a few times. Uh, there's bears on the at right? There's a lot of bears. Yes, traveling. I mean they're essentially everywhere down south. Um, if you don't see a bear, you're disappointed.
1: yeah but but um, I would
2: just said you know if you turn the music up, then there's no bears because you can't hear them, right? <laughs> but jokingly aside, I mean I just like I like listening to music when I run. It kind of gives me a bounce. A lot of times it makes you know it's just to me it's just more enjoyable. I mean there's times in races when I turn it off, you know. Um, and when I was on the AT I'd turn it off. But generally speaking, I I just like the, the pop of the music, you know. I you know, there's people out there that will say, Well, you're missing part of the experience of, of the quietness of the nature. I'm like, Okay, I get it. You're right. I'm missing the quiet time of nature, but for me, the quiet time is when music's on, you know. And the variety of music that I listen to is is anything from the dead to A C D C to John Denver. Yeah. to Tony Cash to, I don't like um, heavy metal kind of music so you'll never hear me listen to that crap <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> me I neither uh, <laughs> but, but uh, just something any kind of rhythmic music is kind of stuff that I like uh, and it is a variety of different stuff um, it's just you know it's it's just the way I like it and you know I'm respectful I if I'm running a race and there's people around I don't have things blasting in my ears where I can't hear people um, you know, eight stations, the headphones come off. I don't use air. I don't use like AirPods or buds because when they come off, your ears they're kind of hanging off you. So I have a wraparound headphones from Sennheiser that um, you take them off. You take them off, put them on your neck. It's they're not in the way. Mm-hmm. It's actually, quite it's actually a pretty good way to go. And the iPod Shuffle is what I'm still using, and I still have two brand new ones to load <laughs> um, because it's the simplest music device on earth to run with. It's great to have your phone. It's great to have all these other, I know there's a lot of other ways to do it, but yeah, I bought Shuffle. It's a square inch yeah. big. There's only buttons. There's no touch screen, no, you know, nothing's nothing tricky about it. And that's what makes it very simple. It clips onto my, you know, my, uh, like around my neck on my shirt. And that's like the simplest way to listen to music and, and they last, the last 13, 14 hours. So I just have two of them, and uh, it's just easy that way. Um, and you know, the same thing with my watch. I just have a Casio watch. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone <laughs> will give me crap about that. Oh, no, putting your dad on. Like, like I know, I know how I'm running. <laughs> you know, um, I can tell you how far I've gone if I, I can, because I've run so long in the trails. I can probably tell you, without having any any gadgets on or even a time frame of how far something is. And be very, very close. I, you know, guessing, estimating, um, even with vertical gain, I can be pretty darn close. So at I this bet. point in my career, I really don't need the gadget to tell me what to do. Um, it's certainly helpful when you're, you know, in an area you don't know at all. But at the same time, it's like the experience makes all the difference of being out there for thirty years. It's like uh, I just don't need the all the extra special technology because I don't really think it matters that much. Um, You know this is again is my opinion you can go into the science all you want about it and i think you go into the real science behind all of it you have to train in a a very controlled environment Mm -hmm. and running up and down mountains is not a controlled environment yeah because it's either uphill and you're dying or downhill and you can't even get your heart rate high enough it can be technical which dictates your pace and your effort so there's so many different ways to determine how the hell you're doing when you're running on trails and if you just go by feel which is pretty much my whole method of doing it then you know you've learned how to conquer the the data (laughs) you know all in your head so i just keep it simple um it's worked for me forever so it's like i'm certainly never going to change anything
0: yeah yeah no you were cracking me up with people were saying oh but you're missing out on something it's like well, yeah. Thanks for the advice I didn't ask for, <laughs> you know, and you. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean,
2: like, with the music and the music thing is like, I just, you know, I'm not missing out the views. Like, you know, many when I was on the AT, you know, people will say like, well, you, you know, you're not giving a whole experience of the AT. And it's like, oh, the views. Well, I, I, live in, I live in Salt Lake. The view on my window is an 11,000 foot peak towering above my house. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> and it gets old after a while because I look at it every day. But you know the view on the AT is you might get a little overlook looking down in the valley, and it's certainly very nice. Don't get me wrong. Yes. But that kind of stuff, the view of the AT to me is the tunnel. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the overlook or what you're looking down off off of. It's the tunnel. It's the tunnel of green in the woods. Because I don't really have woods. Uh, When I grew up, I lived in New Hampshire, so I had woods. But in Utah, there's no. I wouldn't call anything woods here. Mm. It's kind of like. It's kind of like everything's spaced out, and you can see through the greenery. You know, like on the East Coast, it's more vegetation. There's more humidity, um, so you're going to get more leaves, more you know, whatever. It's this green tunnel, and just, a, just there's a lot to be said for that green tunnel. That's the view of the It's not the overlook of the mountain that you're on top of. At least that's you know how I look at it. Because maybe that's because I live out west, but um, it's it's a pretty special experience out there. I have playlists. I mean, yeah, oh, yeah I have okay. like my playlists. Um, it is consists of mostly jam bands, um, Ed, Strange Folk. I mean, there's Widespread Panic on there. It's just kind of older stuff because remember, I'm a little older, so some of my older music I've got ACDC Back in Black on there, you know, which is classic 80s rock, right? Yeah, um, my friends give me shit for listening to um, a lot of 70s and 80s kind of soft rock, yeah, which would <laughs> which is it's kind of funny, but these are like the classics of like Gordon Lightfoot, Steely Dan, and like, yeah. That stuff, for for someone who's in their 20s, they they don't even know who that is, you know? (laughs) Um, Well, for the most part, you know? And it's like, I just... Just because that that was my era when I listened to a lot of music, you know? Um, A lot of the music that's newer now, um, I don't really listen to a lot of different different stuff, so I'm in tune to... I'm primed into just the the 80s, you know? Which is kind of silly sometimes, but... um, it's, it's, you know, it's what we grew up with. It's kind of what we like, and it's kind of like, it's just, genetically, it's just what I like the best. So um, there's a lot of good music out there. There's so much good live music to go see out there. It's, it's, it's endless, you know? But I don't really follow a lot of it because it's just, I've got better things to do, you know? I've, I've, yeah. I still have the same, the iPod shuffle that I have that I listened to today on my run was one of the three iPod shuffles that I had on the AT in 2016. Oh, boy. It's the same thing, and I didn't change Whoa. any of the music. <laughs> okay, so it's like, how repetitive is that, right? <laughs> but <laughs> it's kind of silly. But but I like that music, so I don't care what you think. You know, that was um, beautiful. I love it's it. It's kind of funny that I still have it, but that's just it's just uh, just how I am. You know, old habits die hard.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm impressed with the dexterity of the hardware, though. That that's a, that's what I'm laughing at because I mean I'm sure you're not easy on it either. <laughs> like for any uh, for any device to live that long for four years, going through all your adventures is—it's bulletproof. Well, no,
2: totally, and and <laughs> yeah, with that little iPod, I mean, I I kind of lose them for a couple of months and I find it again sometime. <laughs> and the thing—it's amazing that it actually still does work well. Um, it's resilient, you know. I just charge it, and when I'm done using it, I just charge it every day, and it's like it's been fine. One of them died; it just decided not to work anymore. Which you know, they're fifty bucks, those things, and and it's not about the money, but it's the bottom line is that. They made this simple little. They don't make them anymore, you know. They made this simple little device that was so easy for people to use. You didn't have to download the app or download do all this other stuff. It was just like easy and automatic. And uh, it's I think it's just the best way to do it, you know. It's simplicity is important. I mean, just like yeah, when it's... I run 100, gel the water. Simplicity, yeah. you know. Um, it's just, it's I don't know. It's just it's, the shuffle's the way to go. I mean, I can't believe they stopped making that thing. Such a bummer. The track stuff, like you mentioned, like I I was not a very good track runner. My best mile was four twenty seven.
0: That's great though. You know
2: well it's not bad, but it's but, but if you look at the guys who are running for Hog like, they're four minutes. You know, it's like that's fast. <laughs> um I was never a great track runner but I've but I can appreciate but I definitely well certainly can appreciate how how great those runners are. Yeah. I mean they're running ten K's now under twenty seven minutes. Five yeah. K is like the record is 1233 or something. Yeah. I mean, that is to when I watch those guys run like that, uh, it it's blows my mind. You know, here I am, this old flog that can barely run a seven minute mile. I mean, I played at a golf tournament with, with um, believe it or not, Nick Willis and Bernard Degas. Oh. Uh, okay. So, those names for some people are familiar in the track world, uh, Bernard especially probably, but watching that guy run, it was speed golf. So, he was golfing and running at the same time. Watching that guy run because he's so graceful, his stride is so smooth, um, is incredible to me. You know, Uh, I love watching track. I love watching the big road marathons. Those are always awesome because me being a runner, looking at the uh, their faces as they run in the group, right? Like I could almost tell who who looks the best and who doesn't, just because I've sort of had that experience of being um, in the front pack. I mean, certainly not at their pace, but. You know, in other races, so uh, I love watching that stuff. Um, It'd be tougher to watch a hundred miler because it's it's just too slow. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Uh, it takes too long. But these faster track races or road races and road races are awesome. Uh, I wish I had that speed and talent when I was younger, but I just never had. You know, two forty eight marathons, my best, and that's not bad. But it's not. I mean, that's just another. You know, nine million people in this country can run a two forty eight marathon. It seems like so. It's nothing special to be, you know, to think it's that uh, really that fast. But it's you know, I love the sport. I mean, yes, I I like watching individual sports. I'm not a big fan of football, baseball, hockey, those things. I mean, I I can appreciate it again, but those are like watching paint dry to me. Football game is so boring; it drives me nuts. I know that that sounds really stupid to a lot of people. Not (laughs) at all. Not at all. But that's just it's just me. You know, I like individual sporting sporting events more than uh, more than team stuff. My best time. Sixteen nineteen was my 16, best five K, okay. yeah. yeah. And then that, again, that's not that fast. When, you know, when you're looking at the other guys that were under fourteen that you know that are on our Hoga team. Um yeah, both, it's just like I'm in a different league. <laughs> <laughs> um whole different but I'm on the B team, maybe in the C team on that. Um but it's all right, you know, it's uh we all have our specialties.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I th- I think you're doing fine. But I, I just I had heard that about that sixteen nineteen. I was like, that's that's speedy to me. That's that's great. Um, yeah, that
2: was a cross country race. I was a cross country 5K, actually, in New in Rhode Island. So it was on grass. It wasn't on wasn't on like a track. No. So we, which is probably a little bit better than than all would be, than what a track would be, you know? Yeah. So I mean, that was those were those were good days. I was you know 15 or 16 years old, and we ran hard. Oh, we ran fast. You know, we had a good team when I was in high school. So a lot of us were very competitive with each other. So we had uh, you know, that made our team a lot better. Our coach was just all right, guys, go run the loop, which was like a five-mile route. And that was our training. <laughs> yeah, We really didn't – we didn't have too – we did some speed work, but we didn't really have too much real specific training. We just kind of ran, and we had some talented kids on our team. Me and two other guys were one, two, and six in the state. So, you know, we were solid. And uh, so our coach just kind of – go to a race hungover, you know, high school. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's pretty sad to say that but <laughs> but that's the truth um don't hide from the truth you gotta um, laugh at it yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we had good times back then it was fun
0: and i'm kind of seeing uh, a common theme there because you right. just approached right. it because it was fun and it and felt it out and found success that way
2: yeah and that it, that's exactly right like that's how my life has sort of been not really too structured like that with uh, that our coach was awesome he was like he was one of the counselors at the school and he was the greatest guy. He was awesome, you know, but he just didn't have a ton of structure. We did, we could say twice a week, I think we did speed work on the track. Mm. And that was, as runners, we never really knew what we were doing. Um, We just kind of listened to the coach and did what we did. Um, But, you know, do I look back and say that was how he structured it? And I say, I don't know. I think we just kind of, you know, read the, the Hal Higdon book on how to train for the 5k or whatever, you know, something like that. And, uh, and he rolled with it. But but again, you know, like anything in high school, you don't really know sometimes when a lot of the best runners come from a soccer team, you know? Yeah. Because the, the kids that played soccer, of course, they're running around all over the place. They're sprinting. They're running fast. Um, the talent in high school, you don't know who's going to have the talent or not. It's like kids just come out of the freshman or sophomore in high school. You don't really know what's, what's coming. And we had, we just had three of us that we had, Genetics, you know, we had good genetics to run real fast, and and that kicked in really quick. You know, none of us had uh, any kind of special like diet we were eating from our parents or anything. It was all you know hot dogs and hamburgers across the board.
1: Yeah, you know,
2: that's how I grew up. I grew up like that. Scott Jr grew up like that. You know, and now he's vegan, but it's like you, it is what it is. And you just kind of go off your um, your childhood. And and like you said, um, I was pretty unstructured when I was younger, and I was pretty unstructured when I'm older, Just kind of how we live, you know. If you're an elite athlete, you know, and, and someone wants to interview you right before your big race and stuff like that, um, you're really better off ignoring social media. I think you are anyway, but it's hard to ignore that, right? Because your sponsors want you to talk about it too. Um, you don't want, you know, if, if Jim goes back to, to Western, I know he's not next year, but if he, if he did, the pressure's on him to break that 14.09, right? It would be best if this sponsor just let him alone and just let's see if he can do it instead of hyping it all up. Just hyping it up is, hyping it up is tough. Um, but for, but but as far as like, the, you know, for let's say everyone else, I guess, not the very top level tier people, just just uh, do, do it how I do it. Just take it with a grain of salt and just, you know, expect, try to get out there and have fun with it and not worry about your time. And remember that in a 100 miler, if, if that's your goal, then, your good time and your good race is going to come in the last twenty miles. So you have to buy your time and just kind of relax, or try to relax for you know the first eighty miles, <laughs> um, because when you when you finish a, finish a hundred mile as a death march, it's not very exciting. <laughs> when you when you when you're the chaser and not the chasee or the hunter not the hunted, um, in the last twenty miles of a long race like that, um, you feel so much better. Yeah. You know, um, when I failed the Western a couple know, years ago, when I was 50, I, I mean, I, I was like, I'll finish the damn thing. So I did, you know, I walked, but I walked the last 20 miles because my quads were just destroyed. Yeah. Um, so I did, but I was proud of myself for finishing, but I don't want to finish races like that. When I finished it in 2000, I think 2011 or 12 or something, when I came in 10th or 11th place, I came around the final track there and my wife was in the stands, of course. And she's like. I was the slowest I've ever seen you run. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I said I said, I know, it took me like five minutes to get around the track. <laughs> you know, and I just laughed it off and it was funny, you know. Sure, sure. Um, but but that's you don't want to finish that way, you know, you wanna finish like like Scott Wolf did when he came in five minutes behind me. He was rallying, ran around the track in a minute, you know, or what it would have seemed like a minute. And uh, it took me like forever to get around the track. But um, you wanna finish with, with in good spirits and finish like you You've done the best that you can, and that's that's all you can really hope for. But you just got to take those those low times and just deal with them. It doesn't always get worse, you know. I, I felt better at mile seventy a lot of times than I have at mile twenty five. So I that I know because I've seen it happen. Um, so I know that when I have those low points early, that you know you can bounce out of it. You just kind of have to stay positive uh, instead of dropping out and driving home.
0: One thing I really liked about um, Jim Walmsley's uh hard rock attempt was that it really was under the radar. There was no buzz right. around. It It was just like, Oh, he's, he's doing it right now. You know? Um, and yeah,
2: yeah. I think that was smart. I mean, he, yeah. you know, and, and he, he's ballsy runner. We all know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> he gets after it, what he's done. And what, what he did do, you know, he was solid through about 70. And then after that, after Sherman, he sort of, it, it, the wheels came off, but he proved, I think he went through Sherman in like 1320 or something. So that being said, that is actually sub 20 hour pace, Yeah, you know, it's like right about 20 hour pace. Cause you get slower the second half and that's just how it is. But and the train that he was entering was, was, well, it's all hard, but yeah. I know it pretty well. So, um, but he proved a point that, okay, it is possible. And when I was in my younger parts of my career, when I would run these shorter mountain races, 17 miles, 15 miles, and you know, you're running pretty hard. I've always believed that if you can run hard for, for 15 miles, why can't you do it for fifty? Or Why can't you do it for a hundred? Yeah, that's kind of a silly thing to say, but you know, Jim has has pushed that envelope about okay, I can run this hard for seventy miles. You know, okay, I, I didn't get the last thirty in so fast, but or even finish or whatever. But he's proven that it sort of can be done, and you know, it it, it takes someone like that to to push the envelope to see what can happen. Same with Lake Kipchoge about the two hour thing. Yeah, because. Granted he had the wind draft and all that shit, but he did it. He yeah. still did it on his legs. Yep. You know, your legs can actually still move that fast. So by him doing that, he proved to the world that someday someone will go under two hours at a you know, without a a, a draft <laughs> like that. Someone will do it. It's just a matter it's just a matter of time. And it may not be Kipchoge. it may not be Bikili, it could be it could be some other Ken probably Kenyan <laughs> or someone um, that does it but uh you know those guys are pushing the envelopes and seeing what can be done and you know it's there's no there's no limits, you know, as for what people can do. It but you can you in, in order to find that out, you have to like you have to fail first, I think. Um failure brings greater success, always.
1: Yeah.
2: And that's just that's another line of mine that's just been always like it's so true because like me going back to Coldwater, um if I finish even if I just finish it in January, if I go there Completion is success, yeah. you know, because I failed last time, um, not finishing the thing. So that's just kind of how I look at it. Um, just got to positive.
0: What else do you do, Carl?
2: <laughs> yeah, I- I'm definitely a house project kind of guy. Gotcha. I'm always constantly finding something to do and there's always something to do with the house.
1: Yeah.
2: Which is the beauty of owning a home. <laughs> um, but I mean, just, just skip over to golf real quick. I grew up playing golf. My dad was a roof re- dad. And my uncle were both good golfers. So I grew up around that and, uh, like most of the sports that I picked up, I had kind of a little bit of a hidden talent. So I got pretty good at golf right away. And golf is one of those things that um, it's very hard, number one. It's it's a lot harder than you might think. You're not just hitting this ball. Like it's, it's hard. Um, but I love the challenge of how hard it is. Every shot is different. It's like an individual sport, right? It's all you. Yeah. No one can tell you how to do this or that or the other to make you really – that much better at it. You just have to keep playing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. So that end of things, I just love it because it's 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 fun watching the ball fly 300 yards and you know that you just blast it. It's pretty cool. And I'm a little skinny guy, but I can hit it pretty far for 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 a little guy. So, but other sports, I mean, i other stuff that I do. You mentioned home projects. I mean, I constantly, you know, I have this croquet court in my backyard that I built and it might sound kind of silly, but typically, I mean, like the Egyptians, we call it the Egyptians, <laughs> their croquet court is flat. It's like a flat square, right? But I made my croquet court in my backyard. It's got bunkers in it, kind of like a golf course would. I've got a, I've built a pond back there now. It's small, but oh, it's nice. kind of cool. It's classic, man, and it's at it berms and stuff. So we have our own sort of croquet in our backyard. Those are the kind of projects that I like to do because I'm sort of building something that I can play with yeah like it was like me building my sled run up in in up in the mountains here above my house i built a sled run that is bigger and better than any sled run any kid has ever been on in their entire life i'll guarantee you it's a quarter mile long it lasts a minute and a half oh it's fast it's fast it's <laughs> mind-boggling google that one if you haven't seen that just carl Run, and and that was well, you know i built that by my by myself by hand and it took me multiple days of back-breaking, shoveling snow. <laughs> um, <laughs> To do it, but those are the kind of things I like to do. I like to build something and actually use it. Um, the engineering behind the sled run is a—it's like an engineering marvel. You have to, it has to be so steep and bank so much so that you know, so you go fast enough, right? It's an, it's like a roller coaster. So it's it's pretty fun for me to build that kind of stuff and then actually use it. So from croquet to to the sled run to just crap around my house, um, I just like constructing things. Um, I see images of things like all the time that I want to build. And I just, you know, my wife says, you don't even have a plan for that. I'm like, I got it all between my ears. There you go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't come out as planned, but at the same time, uh, I just like moving around. I can't sit still, um, for the most part. Um, so I, I don't, you don't see me sitting in front of TV very often unless I'm taking a break from doing something outside. Um, just how I am. My dad, my dad was like that. He grew up. He built rock walls, like nonstop for 30 years. You know, it's and only, only for his own pleasure. You know, not for not, not working for anyone else. Just for his own deal. And I guess I kind of followed that lead a little bit too. I um, just doing projects around my house. My wife might call me Mr. 90% because I get about 90% done, then kind of move on. Oh. <laughs> but but that always brings back. You know, that means you always have something to do to fix later. Yeah. That's what I tell her, you know, so she <laughs> kind of laughs at that one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I like tooling around my house for sure. I wish I had more property, but that's coming. We got property in Colorado, so that's that's coming when we move in a few years.
0: I'm wondering uh, if you have a favorite beverage, a post, post-race beverage, like beer, wine, what, what do you reach for? Well,
2: yeah, I mean, there's nothing better than a good cold Sierra Nevada pale ale. Yeah, I mean, or any or any pale ale that's similar to Sierra Nevada it doesn't have to be that. I'm just using it as an example of what kind of beer that I like. But um, yeah, I mean, that's I like cold beer, no doubt about it. I think a lot of us that run ultras do. <laughs> I think it's yeah. probably everyone's favorite beverage. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it's nothing like going out for a good hard run and then having a cold beer at the at the end. At least it's you know my opinion. There's you know we drink. I drink my recovery drink. First endurance. I drink. You know good healthy stuff otherwise too but at the same time it's like live once die later you know i don't um i don't really hold back on those types of things i just kind of do what i want to do and i know that like i said our time on the earth is short so it's best to just get after it while you can and kind of enjoy it while it's there i think just people just need to realize that you know like i just said just said it live once die later um doesn't mean you live dangerously (laughs) it just means um you live your life and try to feel like you've fulfilled your life um, instead of worrying about doing things that other people expect you to do. It's just like my dropping out of college. You know, I, I don't, I don't feel good or whatever say whenever I say that I don't really feel good about it. But at the same time, you know, it led to the direction where it, it made my life so much better by not going there. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, whatever it is, just uh, do what you want to do and don't let others really dictate don't be selfish, but do what you want to do and try to let others dictate your life and uh, just try to have fun. Well, I mean, Hoka One One, obviously, um, we started in 2009 Yeah. with my uh, those first pair of Hoka's. I mean, they've been uh, so wonderful to me. You know, it's funny, I was just back on the East Coast and I brought home the very first original pair that I had to pry out of Nico's hands right, in right. my living room. I just brought those home. My dad had them hanging in the garage. <laughs> oh, my God. I so brought them home, and I'll, I'll send a picture of those on, on social media here shortly. I'm planning on doing that. But, I mean, First Endurance has been behind me forever, too, with my nutrition products. Dry Mac Socks has been behind me. Ultra has been behind me for a long time. And I've, I've generally partnered with um, companies that, with products that I've already used and liked before. You know, I never sent out the resume, hey, I want to be sponsored by you if I've never used your product. I've always used stuff first, and then, then kind of pursued it. And I think for most athletes that um, are in that, that are trying to do that, it's important to really be true to your brand. And that's like that with Hoka. I mean, when I put those shoes on and ran around the block, I was sold, you know, and now it's like Hoka's been stood behind me so well um, with what I've been doing. And I realize I'm getting older and I'm a little bit slower and I'm not going to win UTMB again and and that, or, or try to win UTMB. Um, it's, It's cool to have that people behind you like that i mean it makes you feel good you know it makes you want to to drive forward and try to keep getting better um so for everyone who's ever you know been a partner of mine it's uh been a great ride and i appreciate everything
0: yeah and i i love love that attitude of you know the product like if it's going to happen it's going to happen instead of actively pursuing companies for sponsorship and everything like that because uh you know, as, as you can imagine, I, I get approached about that kind of thing. And I, I do admire people with ambition and that they want to move forward and everything like that. But a, but a career path that's more natural, that, that where those relationships build out from what you yeah. already are passionate about instead of, like, pursuing a product. I, you know.
2: Yeah, you can't pursue something if you never used it. <laughs> just, you know, and, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone else. In the early 90s, I tried that, too. You know, and it's like, you know, then I started rethinking about, like, well that isn't really the right way to go about it and just yeah. like use what you like and find out what you like and then pursue it. Um, and you know, and again, I've been lucky. I mean, I was lucky to bump into Nico. I was lucky to run UTMP that certain year. I, there's so many things that fell into my lap with this. Um, you know, what can I say? I've been, I've been lucky to roll with, roll with the punches. Sometimes there's been some punches, but, um, sometimes you got to take punches, and uh,
1: yeah.
2: and then make decisions. <laughs> um, I've made all the best decisions in my life, but I think I've done pretty well. And Hoka was definitely one of them. That was like when I left La Sportiva, they were a great company too. And you know, nothing, no hard feelings there. But um, I went with what my what I thought was right, and obviously that um, panned out pretty well. So, yeah, no regrets on that.
0: Have you ever been recognized in in a surprising place?
2: I was walking in the airport, which isn't really a surprising place, but I mean. You know, ultra runners, it's not like, my, I'm not Michael Jordan, right? I'm not LeBron James walking around the airport, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Carl Meltzer, Speed Goat. Well, I was, I was, I got off a plane. Um, I forgot what airport it was. It wasn't Salt Lake. It was, it was like in Birmingham or something like that. And I got off a plane and some guy says, hey, Speed Goat. <laughs> and, I, and I turned around and it was the, it was um, one of the pilots. Oh, yeah. And he wasn't flying the actual plane; he was on the plane, like he was just flying to whatever. But he was a pilot, and you know they have to wear the pilot stuff when they're flying. Um, but he's like, "Hey, it's speed goat!" I'm like, "I'm turning." I'm like, "I'm like, what? Wow, what?" You know, <laughs> um, that was cool. And i when we started, and we just had this conversation. He's like, "Oh, I saw you. I saw your. You saw the movie Made to Be Broken, which was sure, which is. I mean, that movie is seeing millions of views now. Um, but he saw that and he recognized me, and and I've been recognized like that. Um, not just in airports, but all, around a lot of places. And a lot of it has to do with the film because the film is on Netflix still and stuff. But that's like really weird, you know, like, because we're those ultra runners. How many ultra runners are there? 150,000 now in the country? Maybe, I don't know. It's a small sport, right? But to be recognized on, on just in the middle of a freaking airport when it's, when it's not even your hometown, that's pretty rad. Um, it's, I, yeah, you know, I met a, another last thing, I was recognized, too, was this when I finished No Business 100, I was on the scene of Smokies, and I was just going for a run on the AT, and the guy, I, I, I ran by this guy, and I said, hey, nice shoes, because he was wearing speed goats, because I oh. see someone every day wearing speed goats on yeah. the trails. Like I don't care what state I'm in. <laughs> I see somebody, and I just always say nice shoes, and, and, uh, and they're like, oh, yeah, I love these things. And I started talking to this guy for a second and he was just raving about how great they were right yeah these things are great these are my go-tos i don't you don't even have to run 100 miles on these things 10 miles is not for me and he said that and i'm laughing at him and stuff and i'm like you know i'm one of the guys that that's my shoe you know and he's like no shit and he gets <laughs> and he, the guy was like all fired up he had to have his selfie and all that stuff and, <laughs> but he recognized who i was like once once you know put two and two together like he recognized the fact that you know it says you can run 100 miles from these things like he says it on the hoka site or whatever and he recognized then he recognized who i actually was and he was just like this is like the coolest thing ever and then he sent me an email just um, he looked me up a little bit more again you know and 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 he sent me an email how great it was to meet me and all this stuff and it's like you changed my life because now i actually get on trails and all this stuff that kind of stuff means i I get that i hear that stuff a lot actually and it's, it's, it's weird for me to say that to you or to you or to say that to any anyway because it's like, am I lying? Am I lying about that? Why would I lie about that? <laughs>
1: yeah. You
2: know, I mean, it's like the amount of people that I see that I say, hey, this is your shoe. It's great. And well, it's well, Toka's shoe, <laughs> you know, um, it just has my nickname on it. And, and, uh, that is like an honor. I mean, that's who gets, who has that, you know, Michael Jordan has that, right? Yeah. Um, Stan Smith the tennis player. I think he's got it, <laughs> but um, that kind of shit is like that's real, you know. Yeah. And that's like it's really gone a long way in terms of like when people say that I changed their life because they're wearing my Speedo shoe. Well, I don't know if I changed their life, but they're they're excited about it, and that makes me feel pretty damn good.
0: I know you were working on a book a little bit. Um, that you had a lot of material, but you're still gathering that kind of material. Is that yeah? <laughs> maybe maybe not
2: <laughs> well see so okay so yes I'm, I'm, I've am i been working on a book with someone for quite a while oh cool um, longer than longer than um, most would want to hear because it's for me you know I talked to a friend about this just when I was back in Hampshire that you know they're like well you don't you know you gotta work gotta get the book done gotta get the book done I said well my career's not done yet you know and, and granted they're right I could I could pump out a book and, and it would be not 100%, you know, and, and I have to have to do another one because my career isn't over yet. I'm not necessarily waiting till my career is over yet, but I'm waiting, number one, I, I'm not, like I said, I dropped out of college, right? <laughs> I don't like going to school, I don't like <laughs> writing. Um, and for me to sit down, my patience is, I just don't have very much patience to do it. And the bottom line is, the stories that are in it now are, are good, um, they're part of the puzzle of the, of the book but I haven't put together enough of the real true funny entertaining stories that need to be in there and, th- and that's the thing that's that's sort of holding me back is that I don't have it's not all 100% approved by Carl yet and if, I don't want to I don't want to put a book on the shelf anywhere if it's not exactly the way I want it
0: of course, yeah.
2: So that's just—I mean, I, I get it. People want me to write a book. They want to hear—they want to hear the stories. They want to hear my vision or my views on things. And—and and, you know, sometimes those aren't in everyone's favor. But that's just me, you know. I—I I want it to be right. I want—I want someone to read that book and say, "That guy's life was fucking awesome." Yeah. You know, like like, what did he—he he did this now? Why did he do that? Why did he run this? Why did he—why did he move there? Whatever, you know, whatever the deal is. Um, I want people to read it and say, "Wow, not eh, it's all right." <laughs> what's that? What's the next podcast I'm going to? Or not podcast? Or what's the next you know book on tape I'm going to listen to? Um, I want some of the. I want, I want it to like mean something to someone, you know. Whether they read it and say, "That was cool." That guy, that guy did it right. <laughs> um, just not there yet. It just it just takes forever um, because I don't spend my life writing a book. You know, um, yeah, yeah. It comes to me in pieces. So, yeah, so we'll you, see. <laughs> <yeah>. I got.
0: <laughs> you said you're you're working with somebody. Like, this is an editor or somebody that you're
2: working well, no, with. No, I have someone. I had a ghost. I have a ghostwriter who's who's written a lot of it. I mean, oh, okay. Through, you know, through our conversations and all that. So, so when he's helping me, obviously move, move towards the publishing route. So I don't because I don't know how to really do that stuff. Yeah. So I'll, I'd rather give someone some money to do it for me than me doing all the research to do it. So he's so basically someone has written. A large number a large part of it i just don't have all the stories that need to be pieced into it to like to back up some of the things that was written in there already it's kind of hard to explain but, um, no, but that's just because i want people like i said i want people to read it and say wow i don't want them to say what's next yeah so that's just you know it's a tough one man writing a book is not it's not easy and the other question is like how lucrative is it really because um, you know, I've, if I sold 30,000 copies and made five, five bucks a copy, that's 150 grand. And that's, that's a fair amount of money. Don't get me wrong, but it also costs a fair amount of money to, to get that on the, on the market like that. It costs money to, to go to the book fair or to go signage things and, and to go here and there. So I, I sort of weigh all those things together when I think about how quickly I really need to get it done. And I keep telling myself, eh, <laughs> it doesn't need to be done right away. So I don't know. It's 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 been a tough ride getting that thing done. But my
0: background's in journalism, and I've written professionally before. Um, and uh, it's I, I'll always write. I'm I'm working on projects right now. But um, yeah, the, the ROI uh, is, is is one hurdle. And it, again, like running, it has to come from a place of passion. It has to be uh, you know something that mm-hmm. you're amped to get out and not mind <laughs> getting too much of an ROI out of it. Um, but yeah like millions of others, I am very excited to see whatever that, uh, I know, I know. it's like
2: just, <laughs> just, uh, like, yeah, that a return on investment, right? Like, this is it really, do I really need to right now? I'm not, I'm not in a position right now that I'm, I need to go seek the, the numbers, you know?
1: Sure. Sure. So,
2: and that's another thing, the way I live my life too, is like, I don't seek the numbers. I don't, I just, I, I'm, I live pretty comfortably, you know? I mean, I'm, I have no complaints. Um, over a nice place, I've got nice things. I'm, I'm good, you know. So I don't. My pursuit of those numbers just isn't as strong as it needs to be right now. So that's part of it too. I just, uh, I'd rather, I'd rather go run around the woods, or go play around the golf, and sit around and write a book. <laughs>
0: so yeah, yeah, no, and you know, when I when I say ROI, I don't mean money. You know, it's all about the energy and the time. Well, right, right, those yeah, things yeah, are so I much suppose, more important. Um, yeah, yeah. Beautiful, Carl. Well. This has been an absolute joy. You uh, you made my weekend on a Friday, and uh, I you know you're gonna do what you're gonna do. But if I see you at um, at Coldwater, that would be that would be pretty extraordinary. Uh, here's hoping. <laughs>
2: yeah, and feel free to ask me. You know, if you have other questions about it, ask me. I mean, it's, it was pretty easy race to. To go to and, and logistically it was simple. I mean, I grew up there and camped and slept in my car right at the start line. Not that you might do that, but it's pretty easy to. It's logistically it's easy.
0: You know, I I did see that that you you can pay for uh, camping reservations,
2: but I don't really want
0: to camp in in that kind of cold either. <laughs> like I, I might just you know sleep in my car before and. Uh...
2: Well, when I was there, honestly, it was like I I didn't I didn't have a campground at all. I just oh. you could I didn't know this when I went there, but when I drove in, I was like. I slept in my car. Yeah, like, and there was no one there, and there was, you know, the people setting it up were there, but but it wasn't. It was quiet. It was totally good, and it wasn't cold. I mean, not. It's not cold if you have a down bag. you know, you're fine. Um, but anyway, that's just you know, you could stay in a hotel ten miles away too, which is as easy. So,
0: very cool. Right on. Well, I'm excited, and uh, you know, thanks again. And um, you you made this really easy too. Like, I just reached out. You awesome. were so quick and generous to. To take time out for me, um, and yeah, I mean, you know, Tyler, everyone at Chosky appreciates you too. Like, thank you so much.
2: Right on, man. Good good, talk, good chatting.
0: All righty, you take care.
2: All right, see ya. Take a ciao.
0: Thank you to everyone who helped make this happen, including everyone at Hoka One One, especially Melanie, Gio, and Melissa. Everyone at Chosky Endurance Collective, especially Tyler Andrews and Chris Brown, Barrett Slagle for technical support. And of course, Carl and his team for being as kind and fun as they are legendary.